Welcome to the Infinite Weird Podcast. My name is Matthew Sherling, and on this podcast, we talk about unusual experiences from the supernatural to the just plain bizarre to the mystical, spiritual, paranormal, anything out of the ordinary, anything unusual. And on this particular episode, we have my best friend, Adam Smith. A.K.A. Smith. I met Smith in 1997, in the school year of 97 slash 98, seventh grade, Monroe, Georgia. That's where we met, and we became fast friends in pre-algebra class. I remember playing tic-tac-toe. I remember somehow watching muti- music videos in that class sometimes. I remember seeing Eminem's video for My Name Is. And we were amused, fascinated, excited. I started going to his house after school and my mom would come pick me up after she got off of work. And uh, Smith and I and his brother Alex, who is also still one of my best friends, we would rollerblade, we would listen to music, we would play basketball, play video games, all sorts of good stuff. But I'm extremely grateful for my friendship with Smith. He is one of the wisest people I know. Very insightful, very honest, very gentle, and very unafraid to share his unique point of view on any given subject. And I admire all those things about Smith. And we have had innumerable, long, deep, meaningful conversations in our long friendship and I am grateful to uh, share one of those with you so I hope you enjoy yeah man I wanted so welcome to the podcast I'm glad you're I'm glad you were down to talk with me about this stuff yeah I don't even know what we're talking about really but I I kind of like that (laughs) (laughs) well I mean you know I uh I guess I kind of wanted to start by just asking if there were any kind of unusual experiences from your past that um, that have kind of like been significant to you in any way or that have been memorable, you know, that you wanted to share. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, just in general or around my work or? Well, or I guess... Either? Um, if there's, at first, I guess I'm interested in your earliest um, experiences that might have been unusual. So do you remember anything from childhood or when you were a teenager that any times that stand out? Uh-huh. I mean, I remember the time with you, you know, at the mountain, at the cabin that time, you know, that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I'm sure that we remember that in some similar ways and in probably some different ways, so. 
How do you remember that happening? Yeah, I remember us in the room with the wood walls, or the probably fake wood walls. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, they had the, the little wood grain symbols on them. And for some reason in this one area, I got really fixated on the wall. And it almost, you know, it almost appeared that the wall was semi-see-through and there was this eye, you know, like a few inches behind the wall or maybe, yeah, pretty, pretty close to it. But it was, yeah, there was, it wasn't like super, it wasn't like a window, you know, it wasn't as clear as a clean window, but it was, yeah, it seemed, it seemed kind of somewhere in the middle of of a window in a dust storm you know right like translucent um yeah did you so you said you saw the eye kind of somewhat behind the wall it seemed like it was i thought maybe it was like at least an inch behind the wall i thought i didn't see it on the surface of the wall you know right it wasn't on the surface it was almost like it was on the other side of it you know interesting yeah you know i so crazy because I remember seeing an eye too and I remember and it's just I don't know how much to trust my memory I don't know how much to trust you know the narrative that me and you were kind of creating at the time and all that all that but oh yeah um, yeah. but from my my probably skewed memory I do remember an eye as well and I remember it kind of being yeah kind of like in this almost staticky grayness that was floating either in the wall or yeah not quite on the surface but um that was a weird time I know that that me and you used to kind of get spooked out a lot like if I remember correctly. <laughs> yeah there's a couple memories of us like I remember that time closing all of the blinds that you yeah I remember that too yeah i don't know if that was before or after but i remember like kind of wigging out for no reason there exactly <laughs> i remember up in north georgia when we when we saw the eye or whatever happened there and like we kind of went outside in the living room or we went out to the living room and we're like kind of fr- you know frantic or hysterical or something and we were telling my mom and my aunt wanda but didn't we say like that we saw Jesus or something like that? Oh, yeah, dude. No, what happened was, was like, we were kind of tripping off of this wall thing. Yeah. And the funny thing to me is that we weren't, you know, like, it's easy with designs with wood grain or something like that, you know, to kind of, like, you're looking at clouds right. and you're like, oh, that looks like this. And it wasn't any, the, the wall pattern had nothing to do mm. with this, vision of this eye you know Mm -hmm. for for me anyway and um but i remember yeah going to tell your mom and and it was your aunt wanda is that who it was yeah i think so yeah and and then we kind of went back and forth a couple times and it seemed like we kept you know finding it in the same kind of place and and then uh we got pretty wigged out about sleeping in there for some reason right and so we were like, dude, let's just go sleep on the couch. And even tr- the transition to the living room seemed like a big deal. Oh, yeah. And then one of us was on the couch and one of us was like on a recliner or something like that. <laughs> and we had some blankets 
we had some blankets and it was it was an interesting evening you know there was i you, you can tell me what you remember but i i know the window was like right near yeah. where we were yeah and then we were we were kind of wigged out by the window and i i feel like your mom had the window cracked because i remember a breeze or flowy curtains and maybe it was just the ceiling fan but i remember uh the curtains kind of having this flow thing going on and i was just picturing either the virgin mary or i was picturing like something angelic mm. you know that i had seen from religious icons right. and <clears throat> and you and i talked about that and then we got so wigged out by that <laughs> that we were like dude let's just go back to the room <laughs> <laughs> so so we were like all right we we always used to do like the count thing you know like one two three oh, let's dip, you know? and we would we jumped in the bed and we finally and the lights were off so we were like okay i we kind of thought we were good at that point. We were just focused, you know, it seemed like we were focused on shutting down, mm -hmm. but then I, I had, I couldn't help but notice there was this glow <laughs> on the ceiling and it was green. Yeah. And we were, uh, yeah. And, and I was like afraid to even say anything to you or really even face it fully. Yeah. And then, and then I did, and then I was, and then I heard you kind of moving around or something, and I was like, dude, <laughs> if I told you, I'm seeing, I'm looking at a rainbow right now behind the mountain, by the way. Oh, nice. <laughs> but I was, uh, I was gonna, I was, I was like, man, if I even told you what I'm seeing right now, you would be completely wigged out, and you were like, I already know. <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> I already know. <laughs> and I was like, what? And, uh, and then I was like, okay, like, tell me what it is. Yeah. <laughs> and you said something about something about, uh, Jesus or, or I don't, I don't know who actually named Jesus okay. first, but maybe you said something like, yeah, there's a really interesting thing on the ceiling or something. And somehow we both were convinced that it was Jesus, <laughs> you know, and it was green and it was, it was uh there was it was it was sh it was shining right where the actual light in the room was you, you remember? Was weird yeah yeah and and this was something that was you know this i mean the the eye thing definitely was you know it was pretty vivid in my mind i yeah. can't it but it wasn't the same as this you know no. it was more this was more like nobody could argue with this kind of thing you know yeah and even when your mom you know because because we yeah we were looking at it for a while and just turning you know trying to face it and i think we both looked at it together yeah. and then we were so wigged out that we were like we did the one two three thing but this time we were like we we're gonna call mom <laughs> and we said mom really loud and your mom actually came in oh my god and and she did see the light you know i don't think we talked to her about it being jesus or not i can't remember <laughs> okay but but uh she did see the light and i think she just you know at that point since we had bugged her i think she just was like you guys are just silly you yeah. know? <laughs> i think she just thought we were kind of crazy but but you and i i mean i i don't know all of what you were feeling i was i was feeling pretty anxious and mm -hmm. and uh and afraid and just kind of felt like i'd wigged myself out well, we definitely did, but then, and I, I feel like my mom thought that we were 
crazy a lot probably but yeah yeah uh, and she, i mean and she thought we were crazy for everything so it wasn't anything new right i mean we were all, i think that night we were on the underneath the dinner table because we couldn't even like eat dinner without dying laughing because of your your uh grandpa. your grandpa right yeah Oh, yeah, because he was always like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> now, how old yeah. do you think we were when that happened? Middle school, right? Okay, yeah, that's right. It so must have been eighth time. grade. Yeah, I mean, yeah, probably eighth or even seventh, maybe. Because but... seventh grade, we uh, we started, like, spending, spending weekends hanging out and stuff in seventh grade, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we hung out in seventh because of, uh, yeah, yeah. I know I would go to your house but after I, school and all that for yeah. a while. Um, yeah. But but anyway, in the bedroom, you know, we, we looked around for a while, and then we figured out that the PlayStation light that's right. was, shi- was shining, and it was somehow shining, I think, into the other light and casting this you know, kind of image that who knows if we looked at it now, would we say it sure. even looked like Jesus, right. you know? Oh, man. But, uh, That's interesting. But I'm always, in my work, I have this kind of stuff come up all the time, you know? Yeah, so tell and, you, tell and these, and these days, I'm not, I'm not, I don't get too into, you know, I never get into the logistics of stuff, uh-huh. especially in my work. In, in my per- personal life, I do some, but in, in my work, I I'm always curious and I'm even curious about this for us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what is it about that we were seeing this thing, whether it was, you know, and mm-hmm. something that was somehow projected out of my mind, ultimately the mind is what's interpreting things anyway. So, you know, whether it was something psychological that had this yeah. strong projection for us and that it was a shared image and, right. you know, these moments were shared and they had this religious backdrop, mm-hmm. you know, that's the kind of questions I ask in my work to try to, try to unpack these things. And, and it's not that I even get answers from them. Right. It's just, it opens up this other part of ourselves that, that can maybe gain some insight from places we couldn't just gain if we were just being logical, you know? Yeah. So we're, being more reflective you know spirit spiritually reflective of course and and psychologically reflective i guess too mm-hmm. now is so, there yeah. is there anything striking from your work that was you know like super weird or unusual uh one thing that i've heard more than once that's always fascinating is people tell me um, I've heard at least two, probably more people tell me that they've seen bugs, you know, di- people that are that are dying at home telling me that they see bugs on the ceiling or, or the walls or the floor, things like that. Mm. And uh, that's always been an interesting thing for me because I think of, of in nature, you know, when we see death, the first thing that that usually finds a dead body is bugs, you know. Right. And I'm just wondering if there's some kind of intuition mm-hmm. inside of us 
are inside of you know these particular people that could kind of sense that death was coming by 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 the, having these images of bugs oh, wow. show up right. yeah that might be some sort of that might be some sort of you know macro conditioning where it's like when death is approaching we have these images of bugs yeah that's interesting okay yeah yeah, so that's something that, and and also, uh, you know, I, death is something for for a lot of us. I mean, for all of us in some way, probably, if if we're being honest, is uh-huh. death is something that bugs us. You know? <laughs> True. So, <laughs> that's that's like that, a visual pun. Yeah, I mean, because we don't know exactly what that feels like, you know. Right. Um, I think spiritually. You know, I, I can say I've experienced some some types of deaths and I and I do daily, hopefully, right. you know, just by by that real sense of surrender or letting go or just just being being here, allowing, um, you know, getting in touch with the spectator part of myself mm-hmm. um, instead of instead of the actor. Yeah, I, um, uh, I think that that kind of bridges a little bit with what I was going to follow up because I know that kind of the uh, the more supernatural is not necessarily your uh, your your lane you know what I mean these days or, or for the last several years but um, I think that you know when is it that you think you had the the first kind of spiritually transformative experience not necessarily in like a, you know, when we were teenagers and we would go through phases where yeah. we were like, felt like strong Christians or something like that. But um, more after that, you know, is there one kind of first transformative experience that has led led you to, you know, down the path that you're on now? Yeah, definitely. When I went up to Minnesota to live with, some of the Franciscan nuns, I was going to be a Franciscan volunteer mm-hmm. and um, work at a homeless shelter and places like that for a year because I had fallen in love with St. Francis, you know, and mm-hmm. and I think I think, you know, there was some really good sense of spirituality developing before that for sure. But there was there was this spiritual crisis or existential crisis that happened mm-hmm. up there that was so significant. Um, and I broke down. I mean, I had this huge divide. I had I had never been so aware of of how divided I was. Mm. And this, you know, I was living into this idea of God, which had improved some mm. <laughs> over the years as a kid. Well, it kind of ups and downs, you know, the mm-hmm. Sunday school God and the the distant God and all of that in the clouds that will judge you when you die and. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with the Franciscan thing, the God had maybe developed a little more loving, but still it was a distant God and mm-hmm. it was mostly male and it was mostly away. And mm-hmm. and I was living into that image more while also gaining this, somehow gaining this spiritual experience or practice of 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 living life and experiencing it the way it's being given to me instead of the way I need to 
persuade it to be or the way that my parents or community or church taught me to see life. Yeah. And and on both sides of my family, you know, for as far as I could remember and, and as deep as I can remember, um, I don't know of anyone that had divided from this core belief in some way, you know, mm-hmm. this, this, this God image. And so I, you know, even though I think I started having glimpses of, of another life for myself mm-hmm. or, you know, something that felt more true and, or that, that definitely felt true was, it was who I was. It was what I was seeing. It was what I was eating, you know, and everything around me that I felt actually connected to instead of some of these ideas that was like, how the hell does that fit this? You know what I mean? Right. I was like, how can I fit this to this? It's not, it's, it's just not working out. And so I, it, it didn't seem like anyone could understand me up there. I, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe I, I couldn't articulate it yet. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know what, what was going on, but there was a nun that actually heard me, Sister Cordy, and um, I'll always remember her. I I just had this breakdown in the prayer room. We would recite prayers in the morning from the book of St. Francis, our common prayer. I think we had a couple of things that we used, and she stayed afterwards to, to just check on me, and she showed me this type of listening, which was probably all part of the transformation, too. She showed me this kind of holy listening is what some people call it in in the church in the catholic church mm-hmm. um other people may you know psychology may just call it active listening or are more it's that more than active though it's more like generous or, mm-hmm. or em- empathic listening you know where she really gave me a full open space mm-hmm. and she was not judging me at all and she just was trying to really hear me whether even if she couldn't understand me she wanted to hear me you know and I felt so uh, comforted and loved by that Mm -hmm. I remember but it it, you know it was definitely a temporary fix you know I felt a little better for a couple hours but even that was huge at that point and uh, you know I've moved back to Tucson because I just I just didn't feel like I I felt like I was kind of stuck there you know I didn't see any openings and I couldn't go to church and I didn't have the support that I felt like I needed to really express this. And so I came back and I really shut down and, and hit this depression. It was, it was, you know, some anxiety swings and some depression swings. Mm -hmm. And finally a spiritual director, um, counselor lady, I don't even know her name and I don't, I can't believe it because she's probably the most significant person Mm. ever to me. Mm. But I don't know her name. I, I, I've never talked to her since. I think I did at one point know her name. And I tried to call and express my gratitude like mm-hmm. a year or so later. But she, And she didn't fix me by any means. But she, she was lesbian. She had more of an open spirituality. Mm-hmm. But she still had a grounded enough language and respect for religion that she was able to, to support me and I had been on different antidepressants too. I was on one in Minnesota and it could have been revving up, you know, these feelings. Mm -hmm. Um, I was on, 
on uh, Lexapro there, and that didn't do it. You know, maybe it maybe it was just the spiritual crisis was so big it couldn't touch it, or mm-hmm. maybe it was adding to it. But I was off of stuff for a while, and then I got back on paroxetine Paxil, and the combination of being on that and seeing her mm-hmm. over the course of a few months somehow I was able to build enough confidence to face this. And, and that was probably the peak that you would maybe want to hear about was I really hit this peak where I consciously let go of this God and not just let go of it, but it was a little violent. It was a little like I had to, I had to really uh, say no, you know, and I went out in the backyard and I was screaming, fuck the Holy spirit. Cause I had this huge fear of, of somehow, you know, with this other image of God somehow upsetting it. And there was a scripture about, you know, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and you'll never be forgiven and stuff like that. So I remember going in the backyard and just screaming, fuck the Holy Spirit, you know, which which at at that time was the image of the Holy Spirit would have been this other God, you know, this dictator that that was cruel to me and that was distant and I got to this point of like, you know what, if that's the God and this is the life I'm set up to live, like, fuck it, send me to hell, you know, like, I'm going to burn to live Mm. more authentically and and more deeply right now. Mm -hmm. Because if I if I can't, then like this whole thing is fucked up, you know what I mean? And I don't even I don't want any part of it, you know, if that's the case. So like, there was that that divide right there and um i mean i and i couldn't even get near religion for a while you know tiknot han definitely was the first religious voice i could trust and it was just his his practice of mindfulness that was so so gentle that i was able to trust it and build more confidence in that and ironically you know he challenged to lead me back to my own tradition right and so I somehow like just all of this stuff I had been training for came in handy and I never knew it would, you know, all of these old stories, all these old scriptures. I knew all this stuff. All of a sudden it was like, I don't know if it was a day or over a period of time, but all of a sudden I felt so enlightened within my Christianity and Catholicism, mm. you know, all of those scriptures it was like immediately had meaning to me in this new way. Wow. Yeah. I, um, you know, it's, it's cool because your spiritual path and my spiritual path have been intertwined for several years now. And obviously our paths are different. Uh, and I didn't go through the experiences that you did. Um, but I do, resonate with that kind of weird newfound ability to kind of read the bible or or any other religious text with with it started to mean something different but it started to mean something a lot more um genuine and and wow yeah I'm, i'm grateful that you told that story and there's so much there that we can unpack and I'm interested in, so how long were you in Minnesota? I was only up there for like, I think two months or something, but God, it okay. felt like eternity to me. Yeah. And so 
when you were there, you you started to feel that divide, and I guess I'm I'm interpreting the divide at that time as you know, kind of these religious ideas and religious con conceptions of God that didn't quite line up with your direct experience, and so you were trying to you were trying to navigate that, and it was causing some kind of suffering or whatever. And yeah. I'm curious about, um, like, what is it that you think catalyzed, you know, what is it that, that made you start questioning that? What, was it just some direct experiences that, that made you realize the gap between your direct experience and, and the traditional concepts that you had been given? Or was it something that you read or, or what? It was a, definitely a combination of things. I mean, one, you know, you played a big role in it too. I mean, I think between Father Tom, you know, he was the Franciscan priest at the UGA chapel and mm -hmm. we had become such good friends. And it was just around that whole time I had this theme, you know, with the Into the Wild movie and that book of just yeah. abandoning everything you know for something new, you know, like yeah. just giving it all up, the money, the understanding, the family, everything has to go. And mm -hmm. I don't know why I felt called to that, you know, unconsciously something was resonating in me and in you probably too, because I think we shared a lot of those, those interests. And then, mm -hmm. and then you had a lot of really good language from your English classes that, I think gave me the concepts to process some of these things mm -hmm. and, and the ideas and the, the background to go with them. I mean, all of the yeah. transcendentalism that you were into and the romantics mm -hmm. and, and the, the poetry. Um, I, yeah. I mean, I just remember laying awake, you know, after we had been drinking all night yeah. and, and, and my house and just hearing you, talk until literally the sun came up and right. you could I don't think you could stop talking and I and at that point I, I think I was I had a four you know I had like a pre experience of what later came with that other depression but I was mm. I was in such a depression that I couldn't interrupt you you know so mm. it was basically like I was just learning from you everything mm. that you could articulate you know I was yeah. able to to hear it and jeremy was next to us and he was just pass, you know passing out you know he <laughs> he could care less but for some reason i you know a mixture of probably caring about you and having our background enough and hearing mm. your excitement you're a very captivating person when when you're excited and and you used to be a little aggressive with it i think you know back then oh, sure. <laughs> but but still it was even with that it was i still saw something good in it and I always appreciated it in some way mm -hmm. so I think uh, a combination of of all of that you know gave me this background to, and then when I was alone you know that probably helped me face it more you know because I was away from family I was away from every yeah. single person I knew yeah and but I didn't have the confidence to do it you know I didn't. And maybe if I would would have been, maybe I wouldn't have gone through such a radical um, shift or maybe it would have been just as significant, but I wouldn't have suffered as much had I been like with you and Al or someone else that. Right. But but I don't know. It, it felt I remember talking to you all on the phone and it was like nothing helped, you know. Right. Um, 
but who knows maybe in person it would have been different yeah but but yeah i just felt like i it was probably the most alone i've ever felt in that way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but something uh yeah i mean i really the family thing too i mean i I was a pretty obedient kid, even though Al and I were really rebellious in high school and got into the skateboarding and smoking weed and all that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it still wasn't enough. I was the first child and I was I was always, uh, you know, good at the sports. My grades were good, all of that. So mm-hmm. I still had this identity, too, that that mm. was part of it. And, mm. and, and I had to to let go of that identity part. I had to, to face that no one else in my family is willing to face this head on. And, you know, and if anybody is, they're doing it secretly, they're not talking about it. Cause you know, I didn't know anyone that, that could say that they didn't believe in God anymore, you know? And, and for me, you know, I just, yeah, I just knew it wasn't, I just knew that that, that image was, was not working, but I didn't have the confidence to do it. That was the biggest part for me was not having the confidence to, to allow it to, to happen then, then and there, you know, because there was such a legacy behind it. I felt, I felt like pressured. And then there was fear. It's like, gosh, what if that is true? And I'm like, just completely messed up, you know? Mm -hmm. Do you feel like that lack of confidence at the time is what caused some of the depression? Yeah, I think I think a lot of it, if I think if I could have had a deeper sense of trust, you know, with my and what is truly, you know, now that I have a spiritual language that feels good for me and and a meaning behind it, I I would say I didn't have a real trust of God, you know, or of self, which is, you know, part of the same equation now. Right. Well, I'm curious about, you know, um, when you finally had that kind of breakthrough and you said that you had like a letting go, but I, so the letting go was extremely important, but I also feel like some sort of courage and will was important. And I'm really interested in both of those things because I think that, you know, sometimes a surrender or a letting go is more important than exerting your will. Sometimes exerting your will is more important than surrendering or letting go. Sometimes the boundaries between surrender and will become blurred, which kind of, in some ways, is, is seems like w- was was what was happening with you when you finally were like, you know, fuck the Holy Spirit, because you let go of so much that was holding you back from being confident enough to do that, but you also kind of had the will and courage to to mm-hmm. to, to take yourself there, you know? Yeah. 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 I think, I think that was an important piece for me and it just had to be ritualized in some way. (laughs) You know, Mm. here's all the, all the religious language coming back to talk about the times I was trying to get away from it. (laughs) Right. But but seriously, I I think it had to, it was such a sacrament, you know, it was such a a pivotal moment. It was the dark night of the soul, you know, and I, and I didn't know any of that language at the time. And, I didn't really know that anyone spiritual had gone through something like that. And it was actually a good thing. I didn't know. And, you know, yeah. I didn't know that I was going to gain any insight in why this happened to me in my twenties, 
Yeah. And when, when, you know, other people could go their whole life and not have a, a challenge of their belief system or their, or their spiritual outlook. But yeah, I, mean, I wonder all of that, about that. You know, I wonder how some people really vividly have those types of crises and, and really question all of their inherited belief systems. And then other people either don't have the will and courage or the letting go to do that um, or they don't even consider doing that and it just makes me wonder you know like obviously it's a, a, an infinite number of factors that impacts a person to do to, to do that or to not do that but um, I wonder why more people don't seem to be interested in that you know yeah, if it's just fear yeah. or comfort or well, well, to be honest with you, I think it was my white privilege that was allowed me to have all of that experience. Um, Can you say more about that. That's interesting. Yeah, I think I think uh, especially at that time, you know, and it probably shaped, you know, it probably shaped everything before and and continues to, but in particular at that time, you know, I was privileged enough to be in college for one, you know, to be around a certain, certain types of people at, at the church and friendships. And then, and then when I was up in Minnesota, even though I was volunteering, I was still, you know, well cared for. I had all my meals being given to me. Mm-hmm. And I, And when I came home from there, I came to my parents' house and, you know, I have my own bedroom and I'm not working. And, you know, I have all, I have enough luxury to even have an existential crisis. You know, most people cannot have an existential or spiritual crisis or even really probably fully face themselves and their lives in a spacious way, a luxury, luxurious way, luxurious way. Yeah that you know that they're not going to have you know those experiences aren't going to happen because they happen with with space and time and and i don't mean that you have to have white privilege to have that experience i'm just saying that that's what allowed it for me i think and 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 at least was was a major contributor to to having that experience that's super fascinating and and i feel like that's very self-aware for you to acknowledge that and it reminds me of the hierarchy of needs, you know, in a way where in some, in some capacity we have to fulfill these base level needs in order to have something like self-actualization or, you know, some realizations like the ones that you had. And it also reminds me of Ken Wilber who talks about how no matter where we are, he doesn't use the hierarchy of needs, but he uses some similar types of models. But for him, it's like we can have these kind of, uh, waking up experiences but he also he talks about waking up um he talks about growing up and he talks about cleaning up i think those are the the, the what he uses mm-hmm. but um but he says that we can have waking up experiences without quote unquote growing up or cleaning up but um you know i guess the idea is that the more that we grow up and clean up the more the, the states of mind that can be produced from waking up become 
traits instead of just states and, and you can start integrating it more. But I just wanted to say that. Um, but yeah, continue. Yeah, no, even as we're talking about it, I'm, you know, I'm realizing too the, the privilege of having medication, of having, mm-hmm. having a, you know, my parents send me to, to someone to talk to about it. Yeah. Um, I mean, all of that definitely is around it. And, and I think the opposite can be true too, that white privilege can keep you asleep your whole life. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't mean that it's, it's always going to lead to enlightenment because otherwise we'd we'd have more, more people talking, telling stories like this. Right. Um, And, and I think the opposite, you know, that someone that is, that grows up in poverty as a minority could could easily have an awakening a spiritual awakening probably and definitely does in in ways that i don't anyway but could have a similar experience of coming to life for themselves and and even the suffering that comes with through racism and discrimination and prejudice can could could i could see how that could lead to more enlightenment in ways that I haven't been able to receive. Right. Now, before you started reading Teknat Han after you got, you started reading him after you got back to Arizona, right? Yeah, I did. I don't... I, like, actually, I guess no, I, I had, did you get I into Buddhism have, before? No, I did have... Um, I did have one of his books. And I think it actually was... I, I got his that first book, you know, the miracle of mindfulness, um, and I remember reading it by myself because we we had time to read spiritual books, and I was mostly reading like Henry Nouwen and Thomas Merton and things like that at that time, mm-hmm. which which is not you know which I I could read some now and probably gain gain a lot of insight, but mm-hmm. um, I do remember remember reading Thich Nhat Hanh just that one book by the river one day mm. while we had some time but oh, cool. I, you know i don't think I, I i think i maybe began getting a little bit of that contemplative practice talking to father tom right i think i had some of it just handed down to me within my family too i mean i, I can't d- divide all of the wonderful traits okay. that came from my family too and and maybe maybe I just missed the point. Maybe they you know maybe they had a mm-hmm. spiritual depth the whole time that I just didn't know. You know, right, right. But I saw I saw other glimpses that that told me otherwise. But I I did have a great appreciation for nature because of freedom. You know, the land mm-hmm. mom Peggy and pop raised me on, and and they always were very inclusive of people around the dinner table, and mm-hmm. you know they rented out their whole house and and land to uh, people that wanted to come on retreat with HIV and AIDS in the eighties mm. when, when that was remarkable, oh, yeah. you know, I didn't realize that. So, so, I mean, they've always been saintly people, generous people, abundant people. And, and um, that, that's, that definitely uh, has gave me strength at that time and continues to. Yeah. I mean, they taught me a lot about love too you know peggy and and pop jerry taught me a lot about love your whole family taught me a lot about love your mom did um so yeah you you were fortunate to to grow up with that as a as a foundation um i guess uh the 
what I kind of want to maybe just have our little last leg of the conversation about related to all the stuff that you mentioned is this return to Catholicism with, with the eyes of your transformation. You know what I mean? Like uh, being able to return to, to the, the religious tradition that you inherited, but with, authenticity after you went through this big transformation so like what is it about catholicism that that is a is a useful framework for you personally yeah i mean it it's it's definitely not that great at times and um it doesn't always work for me i still have to take breaks from it and Mm -hmm. breaks from people breaks from from mass i haven't gone to mass at all during covid Mm-hmm. even online. Um, but it, but it has provided me with a lot too. And I, I would say that within the tradition, I can't say, you know, always within the institution or, or mm-hmm. the communities, you know, and I can't, you know, divide it one way fully or, or another, but I can yeah. say that within the tradition, the truth is there for me. And, yes. and what I mean by that is that, that this whole experience of, of insight that I've gained and this awakening, if you want to call it that, um, is possible within the context of my tradition. Yeah. And, and, it, and there's language for it within my tradition. There's other people that have had uh, experiences I can share um, in common with. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it has everything that I, that I need, you know, it has the rituals, it has the meaning, it has, it has all of the language for everything that I've, I've gone through, you know, is there. It's not perfect, but it's there, you know? Yeah. That's beautiful. So how is it that you, I mean, you know, cause a lot of your, your spiritual or existential crisis that you went through dealt with the, the, conception of god as kind of this male entity that was distant and far and judgmental and oppressive really and um now what's the the um your transformed perception of god now when you use the word god what what Mm. do you personally mean by god these days Mm. Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm so open to using it in, in many different ways, you know, with many different people, you know, so first and foremost, it really just depends on who I'm with and what, what context. Okay. Um, so, so I'm really open to, I'm, I'm open to uh, anything that I, you know, I, I will even um, empower people to use that, even though I feel like their concept of God you know, maybe feels disconnected to me or, or something like that. I, mm-hmm. I still, if I can find any glimpses of something I feel like is, is relevant to them or grounded in, in an experience for them mm-hmm. connected to, to themselves or to their family or to nature or to anything, mm-hmm. then I'm going, I'm going to empower them to um, spiritually, you know, and, and affirm that by repeating the language back to them regarding what, what matter they brought up you know okay so a lot Um, of times in your work when you're speaking to somebody who has that language and has that 
those, you know, religious kind of framework, you use, you use the language within that framework to, you know, empower them or uh, fuel their engagement with their own lives, because you realize mm -hmm. that, you know, that that language can be super useful to do that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I think that's the benefit of of being able to stay religious or return to religion because I can connect with so many people that I couldn't connect with and I can still connect with people that don't use religious language, yeah. you know. So so it, my connections really opened up and and my my sense of spirituality really has expanded and luckily healthcare actually has a pretty open expanded definition of spirituality mm -hmm. that could include multiple religions that could include you know meaning making in whatever form that looks like for that person mm -hmm. uh, relationships with their family with nature with hobbies interests mm -hmm. uh, so so I, I feel like it's actually been a decent fit for me to work in healthcare oh, yeah. as a chaplain because of of the the open sense of spirituality so when you use the word, it, it depends on who you're talking to. Um, and so when it's not somebody who may have like a um, traditional conception or Christian conception of God, how else do you use the word God outside of that context? Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. If, if I were to use it with you, you know, I, I think I would... I would use it. I would use God as an experience probably pretty often. Um, I would use it for, for any objects um, that, that I were, was contemplating or that we were contemplating. Mm -hmm. um, I would be open to using it for the beyond, you know, the mystery of life, especially. Mm -hmm. Um so I'm, I'm, I'm happy to use it for things I have other names for, and I'm happy to use it mm. for things I don't have names for, you know? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. As a last question, you know, it's, it's interesting because I think that, that me and you have both been using the word mystic, mystical, mysticism. We, mm -hmm. I think that both of us gravitate to, to that, uh, to that mm -hmm. language for some reason. And, you know, it seems like a, a lot of people have different ideas about what yeah. is mystical because, um, you know, some people associate the mystical with the supernatural and the, the magical and uh, that sort of thing. And then, you know, other people associate mystical with, which I think is more maybe the way that you associate with it is that, you know, mysticism is, is that... Um, kind of direct unfiltered experience that you that you've talked about on on in our conversation today and mm -hmm. uh you know and it seems like the the figures throughout history that are kind of in that tradition of of being considered mystics whether it's a christian mystic or a mystic from another tradition it seems like often it is somebody who emphasizes like the direct unfiltered experience um, that is not through symbol or through image per se, 
or through language, it's kind of pre-language, pre-symbol, um, that sort of thing. So what is your, what's your personal kind of conception of what, what mystical means? I think um, mystical is, is really, um, it's, it's, it's a certain type of freedom, a certain type of spiritual freedom that you're not a victim to, to any particular emotion, any particular person, and you're able to, to really connect with your life from whatever place you're in. Maybe you're, you're experiencing those emotions and difficulties or certain pressures from people, but there's this certain sense of spiritual freedom that allows you to, to be with it in a way that is often probably meaningful for most people that that allows a little bit more awareness in mm -hmm. um that that brings love in you know it brings love in to the picture mm -hmm. it brings in it brings in a certain intention you know a certain a certain value mm -hmm. uh, for yourself and for everyone and everything in that moment you know it's kind of a release of of who's better it's it's just a it's just a, a a time to be with things and people and yourself and everything the way things are mm. and and just having some sense of of calm in that is some sense of uh trust mm. and and uh peace you know some some deeper sense even though the surface is not peaceful there's this certain spiritual freedom or peace um that 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 informs me that everything is uh that 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 i can love everything you know it's a permission to love mm. yeah and but i don't think mysticism stops there i think what at least how we have access or 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 we have um any artifacts of mysticism or mm -hmm. evidence is what i'm looking for that mm -hmm that there is a such thing of mysticism or concept of mysticism is that people don't stop with that experience. Yeah. Mystics have that experience and then they do something with it okay. creatively. Very, you know, they, they enter into the same sense of awe in that moment that, as they do with what they go and do with it. And for some people it's music, some people it's, um, it's a counseling session. It's right it's um it, it's it's anything wonderful you know anything that's yeah. just full of wonder yeah no that's beautiful it it makes me wonder the way you described it um it almost seems like when we can bracket the ego if we think about the ego as as the stories about ourselves that we're constantly telling ourselves about you know the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves but really the stories that we tell ourselves about anything, if we can bracket those stories, then, mm -hmm. then we can have perhaps the, the mystical experience, which, like you said, does bring in peace and love and trust and things like that, that, you know, can seem kind of cliche and, and whatever to talk about, but it's, it's really true that um, when you can bracket those stories, 
especially the stories that you tell yourself about yourself in my in my experience um Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i guess not even that i don't want to put a hierarchy on it because really it is any of those stories that we're constantly repeating ourselves and you know usually we're we're not even aware of the fact that we're repeating those stories to ourselves because we're afraid you know and in some way or another i think that fear is at the core of most of that fear of some kind and you know i think that it makes sense that a lot of people put fear and love on opposite ends of the spectrum um and that when you can kind of dispel that fear and bracket those stories then of course you're going to feel more peace and love because you know you're you're not filtering reality through what's comfortable and I think that that's what you know a lot of people including myself at at a lot of moments you know we're we're afraid to bracket those stories because um we're uh, we're afraid of we think that reality without those stories is is going to somehow be um scary or uncomfortable or too hard to navigate. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe that's true in some ways, but usually mm-hmm. in, in my experience, it, it's that fear that it's going to be that way is what causes the suffering. And when you can kind of surrender again, it, it's a, it's a balance. And I think it's kind of some weird paradox where it's, it's both surrendering, but also having that kind of will and courage to, to launch yourself into that. And then mm-hmm. what you find is not, is not something scary, actually. It's something that is extremely expansive and, and it feels free. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you don't have to protect it. I think that's where the, yeah. you know, there's, there's, you know, there's no more defending or protecting it. And, mm. and even if, even if it is something, you know, that you have a story of yourself or, or particular identity, you know, part of your identity, you know, just because, just because you're not defending, it doesn't mean it's not going to hold up by itself, you know? Right. And and the whole reason it formed, and if it's if it has any connection to you at all, and the whole reason it formed was was not because of you pr- protecting it, defending mm-hmm. it. It's it's because it's because it is the way it is, you know. Yeah. God, there's so much more I could say about that, but I my last point really is 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 that something that you said that really struck me was that perhaps a, a mystic is somebody who not only has that quote unquote awakening, but that, you know, really the 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 most important aspect is that they bring it into their their actual lives in some in some very meaningful way, whether it's through explicit creativity or not. And mm-hmm. that is extremely cool to me because, you know, it's this it's the it's the balance and relationship between having in new insights but then mm-hmm. not just dwelling in the abstract insight but trying to integrate that insight into your practical everyday life you know because if you don't do mm-hmm. that then what's the meaning of the insight in the first place you know 
Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank yeah. you for sharing, man. That was that was really good. And you know, I I I've heard I've heard you talk about that process before, but I, I'm all excited to hear about it because you know it's like we we constantly change so it's kind of like you know you listen to we've talked about music recently like listening to a song that you loved in the past and sometimes it's like you you're always listening to it with new ears for better for worse so when i hear you talk about this process you know i'm I'm listening to it with with new ears now and um picking up on different things but yeah yeah and the story's never over for never. I mean, I'm still shedding uh, images of God every day and yep. um, images of myself and my friends. And, um, you know, the, it, it really kickstarted. I mean, that, that was when I, I really developed OCD through that whole thing. And I still struggle with OCD. You know, it's not, it's not like uh, this, this huge uh, storm happened and I made my way through and I'm just like sailing on this mystic boat, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, that's the pain and the beauty of it, you know, is that the, the the struggles and and the conflicts don't go away. It's just how you navigate them. Yeah. 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 And just being with other people, the same thing. And, you know, just having some honest moments. I really value my friendships with you and with Greg and and, and uh, Stephen. You know, uh, just just moments with people that I feel like I don't have to pretend at all. I don't even feel a pressure to really pretend much. And mm-hmm. um, just being able to to name shortcomings, uh, things that are not appealing to the everyday person or our crowd. Yeah, and being able to be with each other in that. I, I, I find a lot of comfort in that. Well, thank you, Smith. Do you have any um, last comments? No, man. I, I just appreciate you. I appreciate your love. I, I appreciate watching you develop. And uh, yeah, it's just it's just been really beautiful to see. Dude, um, you, you, I mean, you've you've transformed spiritually so much, and just when I talk to you so much has changed in the past especially probably 10 or 12 years now yeah um that i mean you've it's it's been wonderful to see you develop into this kind person that that is very sensitive to people and their and their um, identities and and their situations Mm -hmm. and I, i love to see your eclectic spirit your openness mm-hmm. to cultures and i love your playlists and how much you <laughs> you grab from each each different area but you're not just selecting you know anybody could could make a playlist and pull from every different country in the world and mm-hmm. and put it together and be like oh i'm eclectic or i'm diverse and i appreciate yeah. different types of music but I love you have the 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 sharp eye, you know, the sharp ear, mm. and and you're listening for something um, spiritual and something um, enjoyable, entertaining, yeah. something unique or are uh, awe inspiring. Yeah, and I've I've really enjoyed uh, seeing that even from a distance, you know. 
I really appreciate that, man. And I appreciate you always be willing, being willing to, uh, to say that sort of thing. And, you know, I, I genuinely have enjoyed seeing your, your spiritual, your spiritual path transformations. Um, and I love that we continue to inspire each other, you know, and, and I also love that we are different. I love that we have different, uh, you know, kind of sensitivities. I mean, we have overlapping sensitivities. We have overlapping ideas about what's true and real and meaningful. But naturally, we have our own divergences. Oh, yeah. And I think that our divergences are some of the most interesting parts about our relationship in, in a way. And yeah, um, yeah. As, as far as the playlist stuff that you're talking about, like, I really feel, you know, I think it was probably in 2000. 12 when somebody just turned me on to the to the idea that probably I had kind of subconsciously already felt but just just that and you know even with us transitioning out of our rap identity right I mean we still love yeah. rap and we still love hip-hop but we don't really make it much anymore and we we could and we might still make yeah, songs yeah, throughout yeah. the rest of our lives and, and we always are going to hold a special place in our hearts for hip-hop and you know when we get together we still freestyle usually and all that stuff and it's it's always going to be a very important aspect of our friendship um yeah but and our story yeah and our story yes exactly very important part of our story and i will say for me one very important first ingredient to when I started to transform in any really significant way in my adult life was when I realized that, and it relates to what I was saying about the stories we tell ourselves, because when I was in inside that rap identity, I told a very specific story about myself that limited me in the sense that I would say, oh, you know, somebody who raps w wouldn't do this or somebody who's into rap wouldn't like this kind of music or, yeah, you yeah. know, that sort of thing. And when I finally got to the point where I was like, dude, I, I love what I love. You know, I love some rap songs. Yeah. I love some folk songs. I love some classical songs. And as long as I, you know, trying to even it, it's not always intentional. It's, it's more organic. But when I'm when I'm encountering music, for example, but this can be applied to pretty much anything, you know, when I'm encountering a song that I just have this direct experience with that, that I enjoy for any reason, whether it's that it sometimes it's just simply aesthetically pleasing to me. And I can't even, I, you know, I could go into it and try to articulate why, but uh, before that, I just, I just enjoy it. And mm -hmm. being able to embrace our own seemingly contradictory tastes and pleasures and, and all that, like, that's beautiful to me, you know, when, when somebody mm -hmm. can, can be into stuff, and then you're like, wait a minute, because you're, you know, we're still stuck in our story so much that sometimes we're like, wait, somebody who likes this, they, how could they like this too? But, you know, yeah, that, yeah. that's fine. And, and I think that a lot yeah. of us limit ourselves by telling the story like, oh, since I am this kind of person, I, all this other stuff is blocked off. And yeah, I think yeah. that that's extremely suffocating and yeah, I'm sure I, yeah. I'm sure I still fall into that trap, but I definitely try to avoid yeah. it, you know? 
Oh, yeah. I, I think that's another good definition of a mystic. You know, a mystic is someone that allows the contradictions within oneself and, and around them, you know? Yeah, because they don't see it as in conflict necessarily, or they don't see it as in division, like divided. Because, yeah, yeah. There's you know, no competition between, yeah, it can all, there's room for all of it, yeah. You know, and, and it's weird because a lot of times when I will read a book or watch a movie or something that talks about, you know, mysticism or, or awakening or something, or the crown chakra in the chakra systems, it seems like the most common characteristic is the ability to see the interdependence between all things, the interconnection between all things. And mm -hmm. if you're able to step more and more into that mind frame, I think that it just naturally leads to what we're just talking about, which you, you, there's no, there's not some sort of weird wall between two seemingly different things. It, they can be co coexistent, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, that's become some of my favorite people too. And I know I was immediately drawn to Greg when I first heard, you know, that he was, he was this Baptist chaplain, you know, this Baptist background chaplain and yeah. that he was gay and, yeah. you know, that he had been fired. And uh, I mean, all of that was really exciting for me because I was, I was like, oh, man, there's a story behind this, you know, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> and just like, you know, someone, you know, who could appreciate you and I in our in our rap background um, in the midst of our other interest. Right. You know, could could you know they could hear like what you made all these you know old <laughs> songs or you know used to make songs with the guy from Florida Georgia Line and yeah you know or you know and, and they're like and then but then they see you in this you know they see you at a poetry reading or something or right. are they you know they're looking at your Facebook photos and they're like how the hell does this line up you know? right 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 and, and you know then then you know there's a story there you know yeah that's true. That's true. It's beautiful, man. Yeah. So I like taking time to hear hear those stories, you know. And as a chaplain, that's probably the best part of my work is taking time to to hear the stories that people maybe want to share or or just inviting stories that may be significant to people and they don't even realize it until they, they, they're telling them, you know. Right. Well, I... But there's I definitely think... something around story that... That I, I think is spiritual, you know? Well, me too, man. As much as I, I kind of, you know, bashed on our, you know, as much as I was highlighting the danger of the stories that we tell ourselves, you know, we're always yeah. going to, we're always going to tell ourselves stories. That's the thing. And, and it's just, it's very yeah. human. And one very important way that we make meaning as humans is, is through story. And that's probably why people are obsessed with TV and, and obsessed with movies. And we love narrative and we love stories. So at the end of the day, we're going to tell stories. But in the same yeah. way that you said that, you know, a mystic is somebody that can kind of have that insightful, transformative type of experience, but then, you know, apply it to their day-to-day -day living. I think that for me, you know, being able to bracket the stories that I've been kind of subconsciously chattering to myself for years, being able to, as you said earlier, with the uh, kind of the observer or the witness, I'm not sure what word you use, but 
being uh-huh. being able to be more of the observer and to step aside for a second and to look at it not from within but almost from from without or something um and yeah. then and then realizing that okay my my life and the substance of my life and the meaning that i attribute to my life is is caught up in these stories and you know you can have the realization of of stepping away from the stories and and the power that can come from that but you also realize that you're still going to tell yourself stories about yourself and others in the world. And so you might as well just tell better stories. I think in some ways it boils down to that is that we have to, we just have to start, we have to start telling ourselves stories that instead of causing us suffering, actually empower us and enrich our lives, you know? Yeah. 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 Yeah, definitely. And, and yeah, and, and hearing stories with, empathy and compassion too you know there's a lot of ugly stories and a lot of bad stories yeah um sometimes even badly told stories <laughs> um but you know we, we're having having to listen with empathy and the the other thing that that jumped out was you know our stories are just like the way we view each other and ourselves too like you mentioned earlier and i think I think that that helps me with my own racism and prejudice Mm -hmm. because I realize, you know, these, these uh, thoughts and images I have of, of people are, are groups of people Mm -hmm. and myself are formed out of these stereotypes or, you know, the history of my relationships with people and different people. And then there's transference and counter transference and all of that mm-hmm. stuff. And, and most of the time we can't even get to why we have this story or this image mm. or, or this, this prejudice. But, you know, for, I think the mystic allows that story to change, you know, yeah. or allows, allows that image to change. And, you know, I may be afraid of someone at the gas station and, and some of it may be, maybe for good reasons, you know, maybe, it, maybe it's because of some statistics I read, uh, you know, about this mm. group of people that dress this way or that, that look this way or act this way. And, and, but, but if I'm there and even though I may be a guarded and for a good reason, if I'm starting to experience something different, Mm-hmm. And I'm still, you know, going to force that guard, even though the story around me is changing. I'm not changing. And that's that I think is what really puts a dead end to our development is is when we're clinging to, to these stories and these stereotypes and ideas. And, and and we can't even get to the point where we can own that we have prejudices and racism and all of that within each one of us, because that's how we survive. You know, that's. Mm-hmm. Our ideas of each other and ourselves are are grounded in some type of image, and some of and and all of the images are not accurate, you know. Mm-hmm. But some of them are are far from accurate. Yeah. Some of them are far from what we're seeing in front of us. Yeah. And and I think the mystic continues to see what's in front of them, contemplate and allow allow their heart to to shift as as they view, you know that is beautiful and that is that's spot on i feel like because i love that notion of like a mystic is somebody who allows their direct experience to change their story 
You know, I mean, if you if you're gonna cling on to the story that actually is in contradiction to your direct experience, then that's obviously gonna cause suffering, which actually goes back to your you know your uh, your your initial story in Minnesota, where I feel like the the narrative that you had been told was not lining up with your direct experience, and that was causing suffering. And so mm -hmm. the mystic is is somebody who is willing to allow their direct experience to alter their story love it yeah yeah and there's some depression that can come with that but it can feel good too i i notice if i can allow myself to be with that depression there's a certain glimpse of the peace that, that you may get long term from it even at the beginning you know if you can just kind of feel the pain of of being wrong or or mm -hmm. or uh you know, not having the thrill that you were expecting, you know, mm. um, something changing and within us and around us and, you know, just being able to be with it at first. And then there's the opportunity to respond with love as, as best we can. And it's not going to fix our situation most of the time, but it, it brings a certain tenderness and attention to it mm -hmm. that, that, you know, creates creates the story of the the most significant story you know of of being here to to love and to appreciate and and to care and and to know that there's there's shortcomings in our lives and our identities are shortcomings otherwise we would have never had these had this mm -hmm. experience as a human being you know we were created out of something else and that and we will share that with, with someone else too. And to contemplate that and to feel those movements in our lives, I think those are the invitations to, to God, you know, the invitations mm -hmm. to, to seeing the, the bigger picture or the, or the connected picture, I guess it doesn't have to be bigger or smaller, but just, mm -hmm. just seeing the, the art, the connection between self and other and God and, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. And that, that for me gives me a sense of meaning and, and just knowing that I'll continue, you know, that mm -hmm. even though this self is not going to continue in this way, mm -hmm. I get so much meaning seeing that I'm a part of that now and that I'm really nobody, but I'm the significant part of all of this mm -hmm. and that I always will be, you know, mm -hmm. in one way or another and, and and then I'll be lost and nobody will know that I was part of it one way or another. And I don't know. But you still you have know, the there, impact. A... What's that? Yeah, even even if, if your individual self dissolves into the to the emptiness of eternity or something, you know, you still you still made the impacts that you made, you know, and, and it's it's that weird paradox between realizing that we're on this tiny blue speck in the universe that is in some ways insignificant, uh, not insignificant, but, you know, when we realize how small we are in the universe, it can be very humbling. And we realize that, wow, we're not as grand as we thought, but simultaneously in our own micro lives, we realize how, how important it is to not just fade into feeling like everything is, is, you know, useless or, or futile because we live in a, in a huge universe, we realize that actually 
you know, every choice we make, every action we have does have a significant impact on ourselves and others. So it's, it's both, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's been more comforting than I ever would have thought, you know, I mean, those, those Christian ideas I grew up with, you know, are pretty comforting ideas too of, Mm -hmm. of spending eternity and having, having everything you ever wanted and seeing everybody you've ever wanted. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's different. And, and initially it is depressing. I, I think kind of a letdown, um, mm-hmm. from the other, from the other outlook, but I don't know. It's, it just feels so good to me. Yeah. Me and, too. and I, and I can use it right now, you know, I can use that eternity right now. And that's what I like about it. I think. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a good place to end, man. And I, I, uh, I really appreciate you having this convo with me and I'm sure, you know, I plan to keep this podcast rolling for the indefinite future. So I'll have you on again, man. Yeah. Good to chat with you, brother. I appreciate it. Dude. Thank you. I love you and uh, have a good night. Be safe over there. Yeah. I love you, bro. Hope to catch up some more soon. Absolutely. Peace out, brother. Peace, man.